Good morning, church. So I need all of us this morning to start off by doing something a little weird. But if we all just pretend that it's not weird, maybe we can all get through this together. So I need a verbal response. Is everybody with me on this? Good. Don't know what I would have done if you said no, so I'm glad you said yes. But I was always taught that when you're writing a sermon, you should never read the scripture in the same place twice. My preaching professor would say that if you usually read it at your desk, the next time you read it, you should go on a walk and read it in nature. Or he would say things like, go and read it on public transportation. Or read it after you've sat in silence for 30 minutes. He would say, go to Taco Bell and read it while you're mid-bite of the grossest burrito that they have to offer. He believed that the location you were in and the surroundings around you would shape the way that you saw the text. And for me, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't work. But for our scripture today, I think that it will be helpful. So I want everyone to stand up. When I say go, I want you to go sit somewhere different in the sanctuary. If you sit up front, I want you to go to the back. If you sit on the left, go to the right, and so on. I want you to be somewhere different around new people. Now, I work with youth, so I need to clarify one thing. Moving over an inch to the right and sitting does not count. Everybody ready? Go. Please do not leave your child with a stranger. Once you find a new seat, go ahead and have a seat. Once you sit down, introduce yourself to the person, hopefully new person, sitting beside you. Is everyone feeling nice and uncomfortable by this point? Good. So today's scripture is all about sitting, where you sit and who you sit with. So when you hear today's scripture, I want it to be in a new place around new people and not the same seat that you've sat in probably since you've been attending here. Our text today comes from Luke 14, 7 to 14. But I want to begin by setting the stage for you for a second. And also sharing with you all how Jesus is secretly a comedian that we don't give him any credit for. But last week, David told a story that happened right at the tail end of chapter 13, where Jesus healed a woman on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees got mad at him for working on the Sabbath, and Jesus gave them the, I'm Jesus, I do what I want, talk. And he pointed back to them how they also work on the Sabbath. 
And so we now today move into chapter 14. And our verse doesn't, or our text doesn't start until verse 7. But yesterday I read verses 1 through 6 for the first time, and it was hilarious, and I had to share it with you all. So right after this talk with the Pharisees about not healing on the Sabbath, he goes into one of their homes, and there's a man there that needs to be healed. And Jesus goes to heal him, but then stops and turns to the Pharisees that he had just argued with and says, and I quote, So, is it lawful for me to heal on the Sabbath or not? And he looks at them, and they don't say anything, so he heals the man. Y'all, y'all should be laughing. That's hilarious. <laughs> Jesus was out there roasting people before it was cool to roast people. But then we move into our text for today, which starts in verse 7, and it reads, When he noticed how the guests picked their place of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will have to come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or even your rich neighbor. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, instead invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, one thing that I love about Luke is his belief in the kingdom of God. Throughout his gospel, he is methodical in the way that he lays out a blueprint of the kingdom of God. He recounts story after story of Jesus showing us what this new kingdom is. For Jesus, the kingdom of God represents the way the world should be as God intended it to be, in contrast to the way the world currently is. And for Luke's gospel, an indicator for this is a meal. Every time you hear a story about a meal in Luke, you know that we are entering a metaphor for this new kingdom. And Jesus begins by saying, in this new kingdom, the kingdom that I am bringing, those that are humble will be raised to the top, and those who think highly of themselves will be lowered. In this new kingdom, the guest list will look a lot different than it does today. Because in this new kingdom, all people will be invited to the feast not just the ones that we want there. And in the midst of this parable, Jesus does something subtle that I love. Jesus gives a list of four people, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, in that order. And if there's one thing I learned about Jesus, it's that Jesus is a tactician with his words. Everything he says is intentional, and it has a point. 
So I don't think it was a coincidence that Jesus listed those four people in that order. Because those are the same four people that in Leviticus, it says those people cannot be priests. These four people weren't pure enough for the priesthood. And I'm sure that the Pharisees would have known this. And I'm sure that before the meal even began, they were already starting to disagree with Jesus. So when Jesus is going into this parable about who we invite, about what this kingdom of God looks like, I believe Jesus is taking a little bit of a shot at the rule-making Pharisees and is saying, in this kingdom, the rules have changed. In this kingdom, what you thought you knew might not be true anymore. In this kingdom, the people who aren't good enough or aren't smart enough, aren't pure enough, aren't rich enough, those are the people that are coming to the new banquet. Because in this kingdom, all are welcome. And I love this imagery. I work with middle school and high school students, and I hear the same stories and the same struggles of life over and over again. That in their lives, there's been some bar set that they have to meet. Some bar of achievement that their entire identity is consumed with. And the only thing that matters to them is making sure that that bar gets met. Making sure they're the perfect athlete or the perfect musician, the perfect student or the perfect person. And if they don't end up being able to meet that expectation, they believe that they have failed. They believe that they aren't good enough. And it leads to massive self-worth issues. I remember just a couple of years ago, I got a call from one of our youth here in the middle of the night crying because he had just gotten his final ACT result back. And he needed a 33 to get the full ride he was shooting for, and he got a 32. He called me sobbing because his whole identity for all of his high school career had been tied up in a number. And so he felt like that he was a failure despite that what he actually did was phenomenal. And even when we become adults, we still have the same issues. Our worth gets tied up in things at work, like how many sales we can make or what level of profit for our company is good enough. We set bars at home that say we have to be the perfect spouse or the perfect parent or the perfect grandparent. And when we don't reach that bar that we have set, we consider ourselves a failure because we have lived our whole life with the understanding that our worth is found in our ability to produce and not by simply being who we are. And the Pharisees had done the same things. Expectations, laws, rules. They believed that God saw their worth and their ability to accomplish these requirements. And any time they didn't live up to that, they had another set of expectations that they had to do in order to regain their worth from God. But I love this story because Jesus comes along and says in this parable, Stop. You are enough just as you are. No matter what the world says where you fall short, no matter what expectations you've set that you didn't meet, in this kingdom, all of you 
just as you are with no accolades or resumes needed, you are welcome here. And not only is this the message of this parable, but I believe that this is the message of our church as well. Because the message of the kingdom of God is overwhelmingly that you are enough. The church should be a place that you don't have to earn anything. Where the old kingdom says, do this and do that to be right with God. But the new kingdom, the kingdom that this church is working for, says that no matter your past, no matter your shame or your issues, you are enough as you are. There are two other points I want to talk about that I found interesting in this text. The first is a question. As we live our life, are we hosting a meal that Jesus would be present in? The places that we go, the way that we act, the people that we choose to invite into our circle, are we making those decisions with the new kingdom in mind? Or are we doing it the same way that we have always done it? When we look around at our life, at our metaphorical table and guest list, is it made up of the people that Jesus called us to be involved with? A few years ago, Jessica and I were in Orlando on vacation, and we had just gone to Disney and we had come back to the hotel room. We turned on the TV, and it was a local news station in Orlando, and they were live at the amphitheater where there was a tribute going on because that day was the one-year anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shooting. They were doing their program there, and then they were leaving, and they were walking to the nightclub where they were going to hold a vigil. And I looked at Jessica, and I said, we're in Orlando. We have to go. And so we got in a car, and we drove down to Pulse, And around the nightclub is a big concrete barrier, and inside isn't that big, so there was a line to get into the nightclub to get into the vigil. And there were hundreds and hundreds of people lined up, and there were definitely going to be many that were turned away. But I had two of my cameras with me, so I gave one to Jessica, and we walked up to the front of the line and just pretended like we were taking pictures, and then just kind of slid our way inside. And for hours, we stood there in solidarity as we listened to patrons of the club, to family members of those lost, and to friends and victims share their stories and perform songs. And after every story and every performance, the crowd would chant back, love wins, love wins. And as I was reading our scripture for today, this story came to my mind because at the time it was the one year anniversary of what was the largest mass shooting we had seen. And I would be willing to bet that that vigil, the host of that vigil could have invited anybody they wanted to come and speak. They could have invited celebrities or politicians. They could have hand selected their guest list and their speaker list. But instead they had people of the community come. There were transgender dancers, There were people speaking other languages. There were people who had been emotionally crippled by what had happened. And looking back, I know that this is what Jesus is talking about in this parable. I know that this was an event that Jesus was present in. 
where I looked around, there were not many people that looked like me. But there was no question that in that moment, the kingdom of God was near. Because in the new kingdom, God doesn't need the fame that the old kingdom said was important. God doesn't need the fame of people to be the voice of what we're doing. Because God has always chosen the humble and the ordinary to be the messengers and the beacons of hope. And the final thing I want to point out about this story is where it happens. It's not in our text, but in verse 1, we read that Jesus went into the house of the Pharisees. The Pharisees. The ones that spent their entire characterhood in the Gospels trying to trip Jesus up. The ones who were trying to catch Jesus doing something wrong. The ones who were trying to prove that Jesus was not who he said he was. And still, Jesus went into their home. Their home was probably not a safe place for him. But he went anyways. And I love this detail of the story because I don't know about you all, but one of the hardest things I deal with in my faith is going into the house of someone who I fundamentally don't agree with. It is hard for me to have a conversation or to share a meal with someone who seemingly worships a different God than me, even though we title it Christianity. And we need to be willing to follow Jesus into those places, into places where there are people that are waiting that disagree with us. Because nothing is gained by staying in our self-made silos. And from all perspectives, I think that the divine hospitality offered in this story shatters the distinction of insider and outsider, of you and of me, of Democrat and of Republican, of white, black, or brown, of gay or straight, of male or female. Because divine hospitality says that there is room at the table for each and every single person who wants to join. Because in the new kingdom, in the kingdom of God, everyone is welcome. You can sit with us. That means you, that means me, and that means everybody that we have ever met, whether we like them or not. And I believe that there is a connection between one's experience of hospitality and the invitation to participate in God's mission. It's one of the reasons that one of our core beliefs at MCC is a radical welcome. It's the reason I think people like Larry Vallon are crucial to what we want to be here. Because when we invite people to the table with us, we need to be able to look them in the eye, call them by name, because when we invite people, we are inviting them to begin this kingdom work. We are saying, welcome, come join us, come participate in what we're doing. The whole theme of this fall, we're saying, welcome home. And we're welcoming people into this new kingdom on earth. And think of what the church might look like if we embraced this kingdom vision. Think about what the city might look like if we all reoriented our lives into this new way 
of being. That's why we've done things like invested $10,000 into a habitat house for a family that needs it that we'll be building this fall. That's why here in a few weeks we're going to be resettling a refugee family from the Congo. That's why we continue to have a heart for our homeless population in this city. Because our city needs each and every single one of us to be involved in this kingdom work. Now, at the beginning of the sermon, I asked you all to be a little weird and to get up and switch seats from where you regularly sit. And I asked you to do that because I believe that is what this passage is asking us to do. It's asking us to get up from where we are comfortable, to get up from where we have been sitting and what we have been doing for years and years and years, to get up and to invite new people to sit by you, to get up and to welcome people into this divine hospitality that we have been called to participate in, to get up from the seat that you know well and to get up from the company that you know all about and to begin to form a new table, a new table that is different. And know that any time we participate in this divine meal that Jesus is laying out, know that we are in the presence of Christ.